It's all about perspective, conceding seven goals in 180 minutes plus of soccer. Not good, but it could have been worse. Just ask Barcelona supporters. There's a silver lining to everything. Almost. This is Miami Total Football Radio. I'm Eric Krakauer, joined as always by Inter-Miami insider Franco Panizo, who has been uh, busy making sense of the last two Inter-Miami defeats and asking Diego Alonso all the tough questions. Franco, some of our listeners were a little annoyed about the break between the last few pods. They've sent, sent us some tweets about that. Uh, uh, did you respond at all? Well, yeah, of, of course. No, of course. Um, you know, there's you know people have been upset. The show's been kind of on and off, and they, you know they're like, "When's the next show? Finally, the next show." I mean, we t- we touched on that in last week's pod. We have found the solution. We have added a DP to our to our stable to our roster, and he's definitely going to get more minutes than Roman Torres and Lee Wen put together. So, <laughs> the comic relief starting early on today's uh, on today's pod, uh, courtesy of Franco. Uh, as we explained on the last pod, and Franco just alluded to, um, the reason there was such a such a lengthy uh, break between pods was due to our conflicting schedules uh, and the quick succession of matches. And as Franco just mentioned, you do not have to fret because we do have the remedy to that scheduling nightmare. And the remedy's name is Steve Brenner, who is now the third MTFer. <laughs> on the pod. So, uh, Steve, uh, welcome to the team. And I think that um, maybe we should give you the floor to introduce yourself to our listeners, all four of them. Thanks a lot. Guys. You know, thanks a lot. Honored, honored, obviously honored to, to, to be involved. And it's, it's you know, it's, I hope we can sort of build it on and on and build it maybe better than, than the t- team is sort of starting right now, you know. So um, no, it's, been a, <laughs> it's been a difficult uh, few weeks. Definitely the last couple of games have been pretty, pretty hard, hard to watch. But you've got to you've got to try and keep the faith. So you you are covering Inter Miami now, um, and the fact that you have an English accent uh, will make you more believable to a lot of uh, <laughs> to a lot of our soccer audience. I, I told him that. I told him that. I compared him to like when ESPN had that 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 wave of like British commentators that they started introducing to their broadcast for like US Men's National Team games and MLS games. This was like yeah. you know a few years ago. I was like, Steve, you're the guy, man. Not only do you cover Inter Miami on like the day to day, but and you know your stuff, but you have the English accent. So you're going to make us that much more credible. David Beckham's definitely listening to the show after we announced your arrival formally on Twitter. So, um, yeah, man, you, you've, you've put a nice bow on the show for sure. Yeah, yeah. They usually put like English, uh, English actors when they're trying to sell medicine, some sort of medication. So that's <laughs> the reason we've brought you in. But you actually have a little bit of a history um, working for newspapers in England. That's, that's correct. Yeah, I, I am working on my, my Peruvian twang. So just give me a few weeks. And I'll have it nailed down. I'll be walking around Lima just like I'm, I'm a man. You know? <laughs> yeah, look, you know, worked in worked in the UK covering soccer in in, in London and then Newcastle for the Sun for the Sun newspaper, and then came to New York freelance in, in 2013. Still working for UK papers, but once Beckham in 2014 announced, you know, he he was given the green light to buy, buy the franchise. That obviously was was great for me because being an English guy, Englishman in New York, English guy in in the US, you know. People are still very much interested in, in Beckham and what he's doing and, and, and this next sort of step. And, you know, I lived through the, when he was England captain. He was the, you know, the sort of uh, the, bit, the bee's knees, so to speak. So uh, people have been very, very interested. So I followed it up until that point. And I, I was actually thinking before that you know, I spent a lot of those pre- six years thinking, God, I can't wait for the, for the football to start. I'm fed up with talking about court cases and Overtown and 
going to Overtown and talking about zoning laws and speaking to people <laughs> that didn't want the stadium. And now we're actually getting to the games. Like, oh man, I don't, I don't want to speak about the games anymore. Let's can we go back to the court cases? So um, <laughs> it's been it's been a long journey. Now, just you know, obviously to compound it now, it's just you know, it, it's so sad when when we go to the matches and we see the fans sort of marooned outside trying to peek in. It's just it's just seems to have been one thing after another that you know they haven't been able to manage to get a break which i'm sure you know we'll, we'll allude to some of that stuff later on but it's great that they're, they're there on the pitch and it's been it's been i think it's been fascinating you know the whole sort of creation of the club and, and to where we are now now is that next step you know how's how's it going to go on the field and, and i guess the answer right now is not not great but yeah um, you know there's this time yeah the next step is uh losing losing a few uh, a few games so before we, we continue, let's just give you a little preview of what's on this week's pod. We're going to break down the loss in Philadelphia, including Pipita Higuain's debut, uh, which had a little blemish to it, apart from the defeat. We'll put the spotlight on Blaise Matuidi, who has now had enough time in my Inter-Miami Colors to really allow us to draw some con- conclusions about where he, where he fits in and just how much he's improved the team, if at all, and we'll address the most recent roster move, which we sort of predicted uh, last week, or at least I did a little bit, and uh, Franco agreed with me. So uh, let's get to it. All right. The big news, of course, was that Gonzalo Higuain made it into the starting 11 for Inter-Miami in their trip to Chester, PA, to face the Philadelphia Union for the second time. In MLS history, the first time these two teams played each other was, of course, in the bubble in Philadelphia. If I remember correctly, won that one as well. So this is the this was the lineup for Inter Miami for the game. It was a 4-2-3-1 with Robles in goal. The back line of Figal Reyes, Gonzalez Pires, Ben Sweat, and then a double pivot of Matuidi and Uyoa, Pizarro ahead of them with Morgan and Agudelo, and up top, the aforementioned Pipita, who cut a frustrated figure uh, during this match. And, Frank, I'll start with you. It didn't start very well for Inter-Miami. They didn't seem like the most cohesive unit, and they had a little bit of trouble stifling what Philadelphia was throwing at them. Yeah, so, I mean, Philadelphia is obviously one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, and and it's not surprised that at home that they were able to to implement or, or put their will or, and their stamp on the game from early on. They obviously had that very early look that Robles saves with a with his foot. I'm trying to remember who gets in behind Lewis Morgan, but anyway, th- there was a clear chance early on for Philadelphia. Inter Miami eventually grew into the game after the first 15, 20 minutes, they, and they started creating some chances, especially when Iguain started to get on the ball a little more and started to find. The, the rhythm of the game. Actually, I would say 15 minutes into the game. And and then you saw Inter-Miami start to have some, some positive play, but then obviously they give up a goal, and then the whole match changes. Diego Alonso goes on to change his tactics around the 30th minute, and this, it just it didn't really... It was a disjointed effort again. It was another disjointed performance from Inter-Miami. It's kind of been what we've been more or less accustomed to seeing over the course of, of this season, which is, you know, crazy to say, but... And there, there were some positives, but it, there, there weren't many. Steve, you were at the game against the Red Bulls, where Inter Miami lost four to one. That was perhaps the worst performance that we've seen from Inter Miami, or at least one of them. Did you see anything different in this performance 
Uh, was there an improvement? Uh, any 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 difference at all that you spotted? Not really. I mean, they're just a little. They're just too unconvincing, really. I think, especially at the back as well. I just, I just think they're they're an accident waiting to happen. They can't seem to. Although you know, in the early stages of the season, they weren't really letting any goals in, but they weren't really scoring them as well. But I just fear that they're just at the back. They're just susceptible every time. You know, like the Red Bulls went forward, and, and, and again last night, they just they just look nervy. And, and whereas I think we're touching, you know, Matuidi sort of faded out, but I mean Pizarro was a passenger really again pretty anonymous didn't really do anything he's struggling to sort of cope and you'd expect it's someone of his caliber maybe to control the center of midfield or certainly that that upper third, upper third just a little bit better he, he he was kind of anonymous really and i just don't think that, that just heaps more pressure on, on the back line that they're already creaking and and didn't don't, don't look very confident at all so it's yes there were there were some some positives Iguain is you know, did did okay. I think he did all right. But remember, you know, look at the players he's been playing with in in the past. Even last season, he had Ronaldo. You know, teeing him up. You know, he, ha- he hasn't got when he was playing around Madrid, Tony Cruz or whoever it was. He's got that great support behind him that can then give him the give the options. Now, at the moment, he didn't have that. But fair play to him. He, he did well, and I, I did feel for him in the penalty a bit. The defensive side of things definitely concerning. Seven goals in two games and that is after they had tightened things up uh, at the back in Atlanta I thought they they played well defensively they conceded two uh, against Orlando but before that they had two previous games where they managed two consecutive uh, shutouts and and I think that the point that you bring up about the the service to Higuain uh, is certainly one that is Concerning, although he did have his chances. He created one where he cut inside on the left side of the box and shot over uh, the bar. And then the bicycle kick where he found himself in between two center backs. So he could have potentially scored it. And of course, he missed that penalty. And Franco, uh, you need to you need to uh, to confirm this. But I predicted I sent you a text (laughs) about a minute before he took his penalty that he was going to kick the ball into the stands. Uh, what do you make of his performance? I can confirm that you said that you did text me that. I can also confirm that you've had two shameless plugs about yourself in the first 15 minutes of this or 10 minutes of, <laughs> of this episode. But look, I mean, you, you, you definitely called it and you, and you even said, not only would he miss it, you said it was going in the stands, which is what happened. And I mean, I don't, I don't know if the pressure got to him or if he was just, I mean, he had tired legs at that point. This is his first game since August 7th. Me and Steve actually had talked about when his most recent game was a few days ago via text and he hadn't played. He hasn't played in a while and he went the full, the full distance. He went the 90 minutes played. So maybe he had some tired legs. Maybe he felt a little bit of pressure as well and just obviously try to go for, for the home run um, and, and obviously shoots it high and, and, and wide of, of the mark. Again, even with that, and I know everyone's focused on that. I, even the YouTube channel where I put up the the Miami Total Football YouTube channel where I put up the the PK miss that's gotten like the most views of any video that we've put out. It's already up to like uh, I don't even know how many thousand right now. So that's definitely the, been the biggest talking point from this match for Inter Miami. But I think overall he still had a good game. He was involved in some of the team's best chances. Created uh, one chance in the 13th minute practically on his own by cutting by a defender and he just showed little glimpses of the quality that Inter Miami has lacked up top for much of the season that they've needed so I think it's only going to get better the more minutes he gets the more used to he gets to playing with with his new teammates so I think this was an overall net positive in terms of Iguain's performance I know obviously the missed penalty kick is a big mark against him but 
you expect better days. I thought this was a good starting point for him. Yeah, and he was very good in the buildup as well. In fact, I would make the point that the the few times where Miami actually threatened and moved cohesively from the from the midfield onwards, he had to pinch into to to the midfield and make the ball work, like spreading the ball mm-hmm. wide. By the way, my prediction was based on something that I know about Iguain, uh, having covered a lot of his soccer. Uh, particularly at, at Real Madrid, and that is that he is a very emotional player. Uh, he's a guy who, who who gets frustrated very easily, and he was growing in frustration in that game. And I've seen him whack at balls when he's frustrated, and I had a feeling that he was just going to try and pile drive that ball into the net. And considering the slick conditions and, and the overflowing fr- uh, frustration, that it was going to go uh, into the stands. Steve, back to you. Um, I think Franco paints a a pretty positive picture about Iguain's performance and what it's go- or and how he's going to help this team uh, going forward. Does this performance indicate to you that he's the kind of guy that can galvanize those around him and maybe make them better? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you know, the guy the guy's sort of resume is is, is second to none. You know, he's played in the World Cup final, seasoned international, played with some of the biggest clubs in the world, won the biggest some of the biggest titles. Um, yeah, it can't it can't fail to sort of galvanise not only the squad, but I think when other teams are lining up against him, that that's they're going to see his name on the team sheet. I think that's that's what when happens when you have these these big time players, it's gonna it's gonna cause a bit of fear and a, and a bit of uncertainty into the, into the opposition. For sure, it's just just it's just around him, isn't it? It's the other players around him. I, I think he, he did he did great, but as you know, I've mentioned again, and maybe we're touching it. You know, Pizarro, what, what what did he really do last night? What did he really sort of contribute? That's the other big big game player other than Matuidi, you know. So they're just whereas Iguain was great, the others just weren't was was substandard, and that sort of dragged him down. You could tell he got frustrated. The weather was horrific. And, um, you know, it was just one of those things. But I just think, yeah, generally, you know, his hold-up play is great. He lays the ball off nicely. You know, he's, he's a threat. It's just, can they can they use him and get the service into him? Because he's, he's not going to be tracking back and, and doing it all himself. He needs, he needs the service. That's, that's the bottom line. I want to I I add, add something to that cause, because, I, obviously, this was his first game in Inter-Miami Colors and in Inter-Miami Jersey. You got to see what he would bring to the table, even if you know what what he's about, you kind of got to see what he's going to bring and how the team's kind of going to play with him. And you didn't see the team high press like they've pressed before. They they did it in certain moments. Iguain did it, but Iguain didn't really high press. They didn't really. You didn't see him running about. He he was much more contained in in how and when he moved. When Inter Miami didn't have the ball, I think that influenced the the run of play and how Inter Miami defended. And I also think. Like like you guys said though, he he was very good with his hold up play, his his ability to to win the ball, fight off defenders, pick up his head, and and the vision he showed to to, to switch to the point of the attacks and and play the ball out wide and help generate and move the ball forward. All of that was good defensively. Though I thought it was very interesting that Inter Miami went away from the high pressing, which was probably to be expected. Iguain, even at his probably best physical levels, is not going to be able to to chase about and run about like maybe Julian Carranza or Robbie Robinson have at different points this season but um I, again yeah just 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 wanted to add that because i thought it was something that also needs to be touched on as well as that's a big point of how intermiami plays well there are also different types of pressure right it's not just you know if you have a a well executed zonal press uh intermittent press i think gonzalo Higuain is more than capable of doing it but it has to be organized right and if anything 
Inter Miami, I think, is going to get the best of Gonzalo Higuain if they do actually push their lines up because he's not the fastest player in the world. He's going to give you more if he's playing uh, in in short spaces. Um, going back to what Steven said about uh, Pizarro not performing uh, well, I was going to say this perhaps not the best game for him to to really not show up, although we can give him some leniency considering that he has been with Morgan the most uh, productive player on this team in terms of creating uh, chances not only for for himself but but his his teammates uh, Morgan I think had a few a few pretty good moments I- in this game but Franco you want to put the spotlight on Blaise Matuidi who has now been a part of this midfield for for a few weeks we saw the immediate impact that he had in his first game um, covering every blade of uh, grass for for Miami what do you make of, of his progression over the last few games so his first game, like you just touched on, I think was his best game. And I don't think he's been able to replicate that. I don't think he's played particularly well. I'm not saying he's been poor, but he also hasn't been as good as you would expect or as you might expect from a Juventus player. Just And this game was just the latest example of that. Now, if you, if you go back to the New York Red Bulls game really quickly, he also commits a clumsy challenge in the box, gives away a penalty kick that, that gives the Red Bulls the lead uh, in the first half, in the opening 15 minutes of the match. And then in this one, in on the second goal, he doesn't track back, doesn't show the urgency that you need from, or that you would expect from, from a defensive midfielder or a center midfielder that has the experience that he has. He's won a World Cup with France's national team, and he's done so as a starter, not as a, a bench player or a rotational player. He was a starter for that team. He, he was a contributor to Juventus. It, it's just, it was, it's, I don't think he's lived up to what you need him to live up to. I think he needs to influence games a lot more on both ends. In, in this one, he did pass the ball well. He did move the ball well forward. There was the one free kick that they that he took really quickly, really astutely, and that led to the Ben Sweat chance that 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 uh, Andre Blake saved very well. But again, it's just not not good enough over on, on both facets, in my opinion. I think you need to get more out of Blaise Matuidi in order for this team to be able to play at a higher level and play at a better level. And I know Steve's talked about Pizarro, and I think it's going to make for a great pod and great chemistry on this because I don't necessarily agree, and I know we're going to have plenty of debates as we have had in the past, but I don't necessarily agree that this was this was, this was is on Pizarro. I think just the midfield in general is just not clicking. There's something that's just not working with this group, whether it's personnel, whether it's tactics, whether it's all of the, all of the above, throw it in a blender and it, 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 this is what you've got. Like, I don't put this only on Pizarro. I think there's, I think there's more to it, and I think Matuidi, who, who was brought in to give Inter Miami a little more football, a little more soccer, a little more ability to play with the ball, and he has done that, but it's not hasn't been nearly enough, in my opinion. I think there's that he needs to do more if this team's going to be anywhere close to what it expects to be. Steve, well, Frank has obviously put words in my in, his, in my mouth there. I never accused Bizarro of just the, the the sole reason why they what. <clears throat> While they were struggling, I think he has been struggling. But with with Matuidi, I mean, you know, it's, it's it is early days for him. He's just trying to adapt. I think that the way the seasons in in Europe and here as well has sort of been broken down. Players are just a little bit off. You know, they had to come back and finish the season. They haven't really had a proper preseason. He's then coming to this into a, a team that's struggling. And if he, you know, he's for me, he's like a ball winning midfielder who just keeps keeps them ticking. But I think because of the sort of lack of, you know top quality you know he's gone from playing with Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Dybala to Victor Aloha and, and you know the, those other guys they're just not on the 
same level. So maybe he's having to, the workload is increased more on him. Um, and, you know, he's having to bail things out. He's, he's being drawn back to, to try and clean up some of the mess of the defence and that's causing him problems. Maybe he's a little bit unnatural there. I just, I think it's a little bit early to be started being a little bit disappointed with him. I, he was terrible against the Red Bulls, um, but I just think he's, it's early days for him now. I think he's just trying to compensate for the lack of, of sort of form and confidence probably around him. That That's the sort of problem right now, but we'll see. But just... Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, don't put don't put words in his mouth, Franco. And, and to, I don't know. I heard and, I heard a lot of Pizarro talking and from Steve there in the in the opening fifteen minutes of the pod. Just just to uh, just to jump on a couple of things that that Steve said. Number one, right, that consistency is going to take time to to come. Let's let's not forget that this is is still a young team, right? And there was a change to the back line in the last game, and believe it or not, that makes a bit of a difference because once you have a a a a back line and even a midfield line that is gelled over a number of games and then you chop and change it that has an impact but also the consistency is is difficult to achieve uh when when a team is new and i'm not sure and franco you've alluded to this uh whether we've actually seen fundamentally a concrete plan from diego alonso who is still trying to figure out his players and how best to line them up i mean Alonso's tactics that we've talked about them at length here, and I don't and like I want to touch on this in, in the second segment because I think when we when we get to the to the to the player and recent roster reshuffling that we've seen, I I, I want to expand on that later because if I touch on it now and then we're not going to get to it later, um, and I think it's something that deserves its own its own segment. But I, I I think Alonso like like and like I mentioned before in this one he had an idea for the game plan. And then after 30 minutes, he realized it wasn't working. Diego Alonso, one of the most clear things you can define from his playing style is that he likes whiff and he wants crosses in from wide positions. And Inter Miami wasn't getting much of that. Obviously, you had the one play where Nico Figal whips in across from the right and Gonzalo Higuain hit that overhead kick that kissed the outside part of the of the far post. But that was there, there wasn't enough of that. And that's why 30 minutes into the game, he makes the tactical switch and moves out of the 4-2-3-1 and moves into either... I know you were saying you thought you thought it was a four four two. I was saying it looked more like a four three three, with Pizarro going out wide to the left. And I, I do agree with Steve that he did drift in and out of the game. He didn't have as much of an impact as you would expect him to once they moved him out wide. But I, I mean, I, the tactics leave something to be be desired for sure. I, I think there's more to it, and like I said, we can expand on that in, in the second segment. Okay, I was going to just ask Steve whether you think there's something to to. Uh, to point the finger at in, in terms of Diego Alonso and his tactics. Well, you know, he's been, we, we always say he's like his arch pragmatist, you know, sort of safety first, but they're, they're wide open at the back the whole time. I just don't, I can't, they can't seem to take any pressure off the defence. Every time they, they get the ball in the middle of the pot, they're losing it. And then straight away, you know, he loves that, he loves Reyes, not really sold on him. I mean, you know, it, they're crying out for an experienced guy in the, at the back. I know we're going to touch on this later on, but, you know, he's let Torres go. I just think they need someone like that. Just a, a guy with, with over 100 international experiences, a cap, sorry. Just a bit of experience. They're just really young and sort of bit naive, not young, but just a bit naive at the back. They're just like an accident waiting to happen. I thought that was his whole game plan, that he would create this sort of solid unit. And yeah, okay, maybe in the, in the previous games that they've been sort of a harder nut to crack, but the last two games have been pretty alarming in terms of how easily they've, they've been they've been sort of carved open and not offering a hell of a lot going forward. So he's been in the job 
a while now. You know, we've been talking, the season started in March. You know, we've had this big break, but he's had a long time to work on what exactly he wants. And I don't know, I, I like a, a manager or a coach that, that thinks on his feet and changes it. But for him to sort of change it after half an hour, thinking maybe he hasn't got it right, I don't know. I mean, I guess the proof's in the pudding and they lost 3-0, so... Yeah, I think it's it's funny that you're actually pointing the finger at Reyes, who I I think had one of probably his worst game. Uh, you know, he's also been snake bitten. I think that was the 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 term that Andres Cordero uh, used uh, to describe what has happened to him. He had that injury in the bubble where he had to uh, be taken to uh, to the hospital. He got. You know, he had a clash of heads in, in, in this one. He's been pretty unfortunate. But but in, in the game against Philadelphia, it was, for me, the one game where he's looked shaky, uh, where he didn't seem confident in, 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 his, in his abilities. Because other than that, I actually think that he's been, he's been quite bright. And we have to take into, into consideration that he is still very... Uh, very well, young, well, Franco. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna touch on that because Steve, me and Steve talked obviously before games when we when we go to Inter Miami CF Stadium, and he he mentioned that about Reyes, and he's not necessarily super high or super sold on him as of as of right now. Hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, Steve. Um, <laughs> but <yeah. laughs> but uh, look, I I'm of the opposite thinking of of Steve on on this point. I th- and I know a lot of. Fans and have been critical of Reyes as of late, and he has had issues. He and like you mentioned, he's a young player. But I thought this game was actually one of his more, one of his better, more recent games. I don't. He didn't. He wasn't involved directly involved in any of the goals they gave up. Not in the first one, and then he wasn't even on the field for for the other two. He did have the one issue early on where he missed, couldn't couldn't trap the ball cleanly, and it kind of got away from him. And then he fouls. Uh, Sergio Santos before he breaks in on goal and gets a yellow card but after that I thought he was fairly solid he didn't make any real issue any errors and I I, like I I think he's a good center back I think he's going to grow into being a very good center back if Inter Miami can keep them on on on, keep him on the roster and yes he has been like you said Eric snake bit and he's kind of gotten he's gotten hurt on a few occasions he's got a, a silly red card during MLS is back, uh, or maybe an unfair red card during MLS is back, but I think he's definitely one of the better st- center backs in in this group, and I think there's a reason why Diego Alonso keeps going to him. Uh, his passing, he, you didn't see much of his passing in this game, but it's, it's obviously been a big factor of why he's getting minutes as well. His, he can pass the ball with the ball on the ground and, and split lines and break lines that way, and I think that's I, he didn't see much of it this game, but I think overall he's been more positive. Then negative this season. I think we talked touched on that recently. He wasn't the only the only player on this team who couldn't you know thread passes uh, correctly. The link up play was was pretty poor. But talking about center backs real quick before m- moving on, uh, Gonzalez Pires had quite the battle with Sergio Santos with a lot of elbows being thrown, and that was certainly one of the subplots um, uh, of this game. And I do have to mention uh, the second goal that Philadelphia scored, which was, you know, criticize the defensive side all you want um, on the part of Inter Miami. But Brandon Aronson in tight spaces and just that movement from Philadelphia in between the lines uh, to release El Sino, uh to knock it into essentially what was an empty net was something to behold. And uh, it, it's good to see that kind of. Uh, of of play in 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 MLS. He's good, and man. Aaron's, He's good. And Aronson, yeah, and Aronson, I don't think is going to be uh, playing for the Union uh, much longer. With interest in uh, Philadelphia growing, 
and growing quickly. We're going to take a little break, and then we'll talk about some uh, personnel shifting at Inter-Miami. Okay, the big news this week, and Franco, you texted me about this because you found out that this was going to happen uh, before pretty much everybody else. And we had alluded uh, to this situation being, uh, you know, this potential situation actually happening. And what I'm talking about, I won't, will no longer beat around the bush, is Roman Torres being shipped out of Inter Miami after being a bit part player, if that, for Diego Alonso. He's going back to Seattle where he won um, the MLS uh, Cup. So, Franco, why don't you start? Um, you found out that this was happening. Uh, what does this mean for for the the roster, and what did Inter Miami get in return? So, so I caught wind of this over the weekend. Um, obviously, the, the news was broken today. I wasn't the one to break it. Hat tip to Paul Tenorio and and Sam Stashko of the Athletic. They 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 beat me to the punch. But look, Roman Torres is heading back to Seattle. The trade's already been announced. It was announced earlier today. He's already in Seattle. He's already arrived. They've, Seattle's already posted on their social channels, his arrival with his suitcases and the whole thing. And it was just a case of him falling out of favor. He he had start, he had obviously started the first two games of the year at, at center back for Inter-Miami, gets a red card in week two, plays two more games, gets two more starts at MLS's back, and then that was it for him. Once Leandro Gonzalez-Pires came into the picture, that was it for Roman Torres. He played legit one, one minute, since MLS is back, and that was off the bench in the recent road victory against Atlanta United, where he just came in to help close out the game. He was clearly not rated highly by head coach Diego Alonso, and I think it was crystal clear last week against the Red Bulls when he didn't dress, when he wasn't in uniform and up for on the match day roster against the New York Red Bulls, and Christian McCoon, who they just loaned out to their USL team on a season-long loan, and they had recalled him to dress and be in the in the match day squad. I think it was crystal clear that Roman Torres' time was up with Inter Miami then. And I, I I didn't tweet that out. I didn't put it out publicly, but I definitely said it internally to to, to people in the business and was like, man, Roman Torres. And that's kind of what led me to figuring out that he was gonna he was gone because I, I started sniffing around and um, th- that's what that's what eventually I found out he's he was heading back to Seattle. I think like like Steve said earlier, I think Roman Torres. Could have had a, a a place in this squad. I think he could he could contribute something. I don't think he was a natural fit. Like I wrote back in week two on SBISoccer.com, he's, his passing deficiencies are not what Diego Alonso wants, and that's probably the reason that he didn't get as much time or or much of any time over the last two months. I think that that was a big strike against him, and obviously something we saw back in week two when he gets the red card. So. He was surplus to requirements. They've moved him just like they've moved Lee Wynn and a few other pieces. I mean, for him, it's it's probably a good move. Although I felt like he was kind of happy here in Miami with with the Latin vibe, and uh, he definitely, I think, when he arrived, was like, "Man, this, this kind of reminds me of my Panama." So I thought he was happy here, but you know, maybe he'll get he'll have a chance for more playing time in Seattle, which 
is what he's looking for, I'm sure. And for Inter Miami, it, it frees up some some cap space. I'm sure Roman Torres wasn't the cheapest bargain deal, so probably a win-win. Although I think that he could have remained on this roster for the rest of this year just to give them some option off the bench. Steve, you were talking about Andres Reyes before and how he's young and you know perhaps not as impressive defensively as Franco and I uh, think he has been. Although impressive, perhaps is is a overstatement. What do you make of Torres's departure? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, you know, like Franco said, clearly, you know, Diego Alonso didn't, didn't rate him, but you just you look at his stats and, and where he's been at. He's been at a World Cup. He's, he's 34 years of age. You know, he's, he's been around the league and, you know, in his previous incarnation at, at Seattle. He's got experience and he's just he's just an, old, an older head. And I just think that the team is sort of crying out for just a bit of a bit of experience, someone that can sort of lead from the front. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe he's not as comfortable on the board as some of the other guys, but he's still a pretty wholehearted individual, you know, puts his body on the line, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I just think the team need and lack experienced heads, a, a good old fashioned, you know, John Terry-esque, some Alexi Lalas, whatever, just that sort of <laughs> strong, maybe not Alexi Lalas, if he's listening, if he's listening, great, definitely Alexi Lalas, but just, just I'm, like I'm just, that, I'm just like, picturing, I'm just picturing the listeners being like, man, that, that guy Steve Brunner, he, he just compared Roman Torres to John Terry and Alexi Lalas. <laughs> <laughs> half John Terry, half Alexi Lalas, no, yeah. just, just a bit of experience, I just, I just think that they're naive at times, especially, especially at the back, and, and look, Diego Alonso probably knows more than me. He's seen him day in, day out in training. So who am I to say not? But I just I just like just to have a bit of experience there because, as, as we mentioned before, you know, Reyes, as good a player he is, he hasn't really played a lot of sort of first top top class football to, to, of note, really. And he's, he's so young. I just, so I don't know. And who, who knows? Maybe Torres fans the move and he, he wants to go back to Seattle. So we don't really know. But... On the just reading between the lines, it's just it's a shame they couldn't have tried to incorporate because I just think you can't buy that kind of experience. Well, he certainly was happy leaving here. Maybe not because of because Miami culturally is closer to uh, to his native Panama, but the fact that he wasn't playing and if he goes back to Seattle, it obviously means that uh, they're interested in slotting him in to their defense. Although given the way that they've been playing, I don't know if they need to make any changes uh, at all. Uh, this season, but the the point that you bring up of experience is 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 a good one here, Steve. Because if you look at every line on this team, from Luis Robles, uh, defensive line, midfield line, and forward line, every, there's experience everywhere. There is a leader everywhere, except maybe in the defense. Although it's important to note that you know Leandro Gonzalez Pires is a guy who played for River Plate, and he's a guy who has won the MLS Cup, and he was a dominant figure in the locker room. In a, in Atlanta, so perhaps uh, you know you look at you take Gonzalez Perez out of the equation and you see a lack of of real experience there. And I'm not just talking about age, but I'm also talking about career because you know Ben Sweat is is 29 years old, so he's got plenty of of experience, but he hasn't played at a World Cup like Roman Torres. In the midfield, you have Matuidi, and of course now up top you have Gonzalo. Iguain, uh, how important do you think that is, Franco? That you don't have that sort of experience in, in in that back line, and that we have seen that they are a little bit fragile right now. Listen, I think Gonzalez Pires, like you just said, checks off the boxes in terms of a, someone that has experience. Maybe not 
international experience like Roman Torres has, but I think Gonzalez Pires has enough experience that he can lead that back line. I think he's knows MLS a good bit. Obviously, he played at Atlanta United, won an MLS Cup, like you mentioned, and that spirit and that like, hey, I'm gonna lead this, and like just that feistiness that that you want out of a center back sometimes. So like, I have like in terms of leadership, I don't think that. Inner Miami is losing out on a whole lot. Yes, Roman Torres has experience, and they lose something there, but I don't think they lose out on a whole lot. And I think Gonzalez Pires is a much better player than Roman Torres at this point in his career. And I'll add this this small part. He left Seattle because they couldn't come to terms and because he wasn't even seeing that much of the field there towards then. He, he I think he, pl- he played during the playoff run due to, due to some injuries and helps them win an MLS Cup, their second MLS Cup that he helped them win. But I think he's fallen off of what he used to be. He's older at this point in his stage in his career. I don't think he's what he used to be. I don't think he can he can give you as much as he once did. So I, I, I think he could have been on the roster. I think he was definitely a depth piece, but not not ready to be any more a capable starter. Right, and that right now that is the issue. And we saw it uh, against Philadelphia that depth will be a problem now what happens when you need to move in uh, move another another center back or another player into that position just like we saw with Figal which forced Nealis into the game yesterday and that is actually the topic of one of the questions that we have from one of our listeners and after a short break we'll answer those Time to uh, answer your questions, and we got a few of them. Uh, and of course, uh, as is tradition here uh, in the podcast, uh, one person uh, sending about twenty questions, uh, and we're going to go to the. <laughs> hey, to I, one I of those told them in the tweet. I told them in the tweet. There, you know, have at it. No limit. Don't listen to Eric. He's never right. I'm just kidding. Oh, I didn't say all that, but I did say no limit. Just, just have at it. Like, because our our MTFers, our listeners, are the ones that are very vocal and that regularly chime in. Like, I don't know. I'm going to really, really appreciate that 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 group because it's just it's they're they're definitely into it, man. They're definitely into the team. They're definitely into the pod, and um, I've grown to really like their personalities that they that they've that they mess with us a little bit on Twitter. So you know, have at it, guys. Don't let Eric dissuade you from asking 37 questions. Per tweet. <laughs> okay. Well, hearkening back to the point that I made before closing out the last segment, Gabe P at Gabe P two five seven five nine eight three six. I hope that's not your phone number. Uh, this is his question. Since we let go of Roman Torres, should we plan to get a new right back to cover that position better and move Figal to a back line? Uh, three, a backline three, where I see the team more stable. Also, we need to stop making so many fouls. I feel like every game we get a yellow card on a defense. Well, well, that's <laughs> that part is is a part of the game. Lots of lots of yellow cards. But let's address the the, the right back situation. Steve, I've long I've long said on this pod that Figal should be starting as a center back. Um, do you think that that right back position is problematic? Do they need to add somebody there? Well, I, th- I think it would help his his you know Diego Alonso's plan if he could have someone that would. He, I think he likes his fullbacks to get it up, up and down the, the wing, and you know if he's if he's keeping that middle five whatever quite narrow, then he can have that. I, I, I don't know if Figal is that guy that he can just keep on bombing down down the right hand side. I think Sweat did okay last night. I think he you know he 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 got forward and, and sort of contributed a bit. But yeah, they need a kind of a, a ball player, sort of a wing back, a modern sort of wing back that can sort of contribute. In you know in midfield and and higher up and I don't think he's that guy so that that's, there's probably going to be some sort of more more changes there and he's making they're making a lot of roster changes and and changes 
sort of you know mid-season where you would have thought that they would have had their sort of style and how they would want to play locked down. So you know they, they've got a lot of, and the longer they go on, you know, losing games and struggling, then the, the more sort of pressing this issue is going to be. You know, you know what's interesting, Franco, is that at the beginning uh, of the season. Uh, I said that I'd like to see this team play with a three-man back line. And you look at the the squad right now, and you look at the left side, the left corridor, and you see a player like Ben Sweat. Uh, you see a player like, uh, uh, why can't I think of his name right now? Uh, Blondie Locks. Um, Breck Shea. Breck Shea. Two players who can, play the wing, uh, who can play the, who can play the, the, uh, the wing back role. But you look at the right side, uh, question marks about... Dylan Nealis being able to to patrol his corridor in the same way. And I'm not sure Morgan is the kind of player who can put in the defensive shift and perhaps you lose something of his ability or his best attributes uh, up top. But but what do you think about that right back situation? I listen for me, like I don't think that this team is necessarily best suited to play with a three man backline or a five man backline, however you wanna look at it. Like I don't think they have the wing backs or the players that, that can fill in as wing backs and, and do that job. Ben Sweat has shown that he can get up and down the wing and, and be effective in that way. Dylan Nealis seems to me more of a traditional, natural right back. Yes, he can get forward and give you something, but he doesn't have that that back and forth that, that you would need out of a, a, a wing back in that five-man back line. I, like, I think, to answer your, the, the question that, that Gabe asked, I think that right back spot... In, is going to be something that Inter Miami is going to look to address this offseason. I think they're going to put in Nicolas Figal at center back and get him back to his most comfortable position. I asked him about that last week on the on the conference call that that, that Steve and I were on uh, before the game, and he said, you know, my natural position center back, but if Diego needs me at right back at this moment in time, I'll do it. I'll do what's best for the team. It's clear his best position is center back. I think in the beginning of the season you saw how good he could be there he hasn't played there much recently but right now you're in the middle of the season and in MLS you have salary cap you you have to move pieces around in order to make another signing so I think you're going to see Figal continue to be the right back for the rest of this year and you're going to see Reyes and Gonzalez Pires in this in the heart of the defense because right essentially the decision is Figal either plays at right back and you start Reyes in the middle or you put Figal in the middle and you put Nealis on the right. And who do you, who would you rather have, a rookie right back or a young and uh, green center back? I mean, anybody you know can have their opinion on that. I would take Reyes over Nealis at this point. That's just me. So definitely a position they're going to want to address this offseason. You know, the curious thing about that question that you just asked is if you had asked it about 10 years ago, the obvious answer would be put the weaker player as a right back, right? Your center back, you need your stronger player. But in modern football... You know how important the fullbacks are, and I think that's one of the added benefits of having Ben Sweat is that he's actually quite good in the attacking third. He's offered a lot in Brexhay when he's come in in a more advanced role, not as a left back. Uh, he's added a little bit of uh, pizzazz as well. Now, Franco, I know there's a topic that you want to talk about, which is roster before manager and not and not the other way around. And, and there's a segue to that. Um, and so this is a question from J.R. Reed 11 which is interesting because his name is J.R. Reed 11, but he's at J.R.R.C. 171. Uh, so uh, 
showcasing all the numbers that he uh, he, he likes there. The number, he, the number says, of questions he submits every week. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, he says, hey, guys, uh, with all the current roster changes, who else do you think will be leaving the club? I'm thinking Trap will be the next one out. Will Inter-Miami bring in uh, more players that can't fit, that can fit Alonzo's system? If not, we're changing the formation to a 3-5-2 with Iguain and Robbie work. And then he adds, only because Robbie can pressure the defense like he did during the D.C. United game. Let's not talk about the back three, but let's talk about the roster itself and the fact that Will Trapp hasn't played. And I will start with you, Franco. He hasn't been the fundamental piece in midfield alongside um, Matuidi, as you had predicted. Are his days numbered, in your opinion, in Miami? I think he'll finish out the season unless he gets on a crazy run of good form and after in the in the in the off season maybe he makes a move or they move him because he's a US international he's he needs playing time to to stay in that picture and stay in contention for that ahead of World Cup qualifiers and ahead of the World Cup and if he's not getting that Inter Miami he's going to look elsewhere and Inter Miami could probably be best used to move him if they're just going to have him sit on the roster I thought he looked good coming off the bench in this one I thought he maybe he made a case to earn a start next to Matuidi and we've talked about Will Trapp's defensive deficiencies so maybe Matuidi can help mask some of those and I think that's worth a look at this point because you know what Uyo and Matuidi can give you and it's just it just hasn't been good enough like like we touched on earlier but just to the point of the roster and we touched we touched on this a few pods ago and I'm curious to hear Steve's take on it um I don't I, I mean Steve haven't talked about this but to me, this this latest move of uh, the question obviously comes from the fact that Roman Torres was moved, and Roman Torres. This is the fifth player that they've moved in recent weeks, and this just sh- like to me, it's clear, very clear now, more than ever, that the roster reshuffling is happening because Diego Alonso just doesn't rate some of the players that were brought in before he was signed. You have to remember, Diego Alonso was hired very late in the process. Like weeks before preseason began, two months before, two months and some change before the season began, he was hired on December 30th. Some of the roster building was already in place, and they did so with this idea that they were going to be an attacking team, a free-flowing, possession-based team. That's what that's all they talked about. They had been reportedly in conversations with Marcelo Gallardo and Patrick Vieira. They didn't land either one of them. They end up going with Diego Alonso, and Alonso maybe doesn't fit the original vision they had in mind. And now, as he's gotten some time with the players, as he's gotten games, he's saying, look, this piece, this piece, and this piece don't work for me. So, you know, if we have them here, they're not going to play. So if you can find better situations for them, then by all means. You saw it with Lee Wynn, who, I mean, me and you were in agreement that he has football, he has soccer to him, and thought he could contribute something, but Diego Alonso just didn't see it. Didn't didn't feel like he had what he wanted out of his system. So I think you're really seeing, and I think that's what Inter Miami is struggling with at this point in the season. I think like it's very clear now, like the roster that was built is not what Alonso wants out of out of his team, and I think you're seeing those issues arise. And I think that's why Inter Miami is struggling. I'm very curious to do as to what Steve thinks about that. The floor is yours, yeah. Steve. No, yeah, I mean, I just cast in my mind back when I was writing, writing all the previews for the, the LA FC game, the first game, and we were like, you know, Diego's only been in charge for like eight weeks or however long it was. And like Frank, I said, he's right. I mean, the guy came in and he had pretty much all, a lot of players there that he probably didn't want, but then didn't Paul McDonough or any one of those guys do their, he must have done their homework on, on Diego Alonso. And he, he would have seen seen the squad. And, look, good, good for Diego. He wanted the job. It's a great job. He was going to go for it. He probably didn't, 
say to them, oh, I'm going to come here, but I don't think all the players are, are naturally my fit. So this, you know, it's, it's a difficult sort of balancing act, isn't it? The guy wanted the job, he came, and then it, and he's had to make changes. And I guess that comes with, a, you know, taking over a franchise club like that. You had to get the players in, yet once the targets fell away, they were left with like a third choice who then turns out he didn't rate the players anyway. So I just, I don't know, it's it's teething problems in, in you know, trying to create a squad and a club ethos and all that other PR stuff that they talk about. But, <laughs> you know, we were we were there when Jorge Mas, we're going to go to the playoffs, we're going to create this brand of football to get the, the fans jumping and all that sort of stuff. That's not, I don't think that's particularly his, in, in Diego's, you know, DNA. But I, I think we probably have to wait until the end of the season to see you know, where he's at. But I think if you would have said to Jorge Mas at that press conference with the Rusty Pelican or wherever it was back in the day when the world was half normal, um, you'll be, after 14 games, you have three wins. Uh, I don't think he would have, A, believed it and B, probably wouldn't have accepted that either. So we probably have to have this discussion in a couple of months as to what the future is in terms of the coaching and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I do think, just to finish that, he's been, Diego Alonso has been given us a bit of a, a hospital pass, a bit of it. He's been on the back foot from the off. And I think now you're seeing the sort of repercussions of him trying to, you know, change everything up. It's been hard for him. So I, I kind of had some sympathy for him as well. Yeah, I think it's important too to to look at this from, from a perspective that includes COVID, uh, that includes playing at home without fans, uh, and that includes an expansion team, right? So uh, you can make the argument uh, that... Perhaps they should have brought in a, a, a coach earlier uh, when they were making all the personnel plans. Uh, but obviously they didn't get the person that they wanted originally. And even getting Diego Alonso, considering his success in Mexico, considering his success in the CONCACAF Champions League, that, that was no, no small feat, right? I mean, this is a guy who obviously had another market available to him, whether it was in Mexico or in Europe. And let's not forget that he played... Uh, a lot of his football uh, in in Europe, uh, at Valencia, for example. So I think that we, when we judge his work, I think it's important to, to to look at those factors. I mean, expansion teams for the most part don't do well. Atlanta United, LAFC, Chicago in 1998, if I'm not mistaken, those are those are outliers, right? They're, they're the the exception. Uh, to the rule, and and then th- there's the home the home advantage. There is no home advantage anymore. That is gone. And there are some games. If we look at some of the games that Inter Miami has played at Inter Miami FC Stadium, that they could have won, but they didn't. And they, and perhaps the difference was not having however many thousand people in the stands pushing them on. Uh, I mean, is that outlandish to think that way, Franco? Um, yeah, I'm not buying it, man. I'm not buying it. I'm sorry, dude. Like. Miami and Nashville are two expansion teams. Miami has invested more money in their team than Nashville has. We don't have the exact figures because the, the, the salaries haven't been released, but you can just clearly see by, by the squads who has invested more money in their team. Nashville has five more points than Inter-Miami this season, and they are in a very similar situation. Yes, they had one home game with fans in the stands. So, okay, maybe you can take that point away. But based on points alone, they're better than Inter Miami, and that's that's like that's mind-boggling to me. But Diego Alonso has said this in different moments in over the past month or two. Like they're gonna go into the offseason and fine-tune positions and adjust different positions, and they're gonna keep bringing in players of good caliber. And he's he has said that when referencing you know signings like Matuidi. So like 
he has a different idea for what the team's going to be. Maybe they can make it happen, and, and I don't think he's anywhere close to being on the hot seat, but like, is he has plenty of fault in this as well. He has like the, It's not only his fault, it goes deeper than him, but he has plenty of fault in this as well. We can't go much longer, Steve. Yeah, I mean, he's just... You've got to deal with with what with what you've got. You know, he has he has sort of mixed it up. He's mixed up the defence a bit. He's he's chopped and changed in in midfield. Bizarro just hasn't been doing it. I know you're probably going to disagree, but yeah, he hasn't been the sort of dominating force um, like that. Between he's not, you know, he he's sort of he's easing in. Um, he's just been given a bit of a, a bit of a difficult hand. I mean, he even said to my question the other day about Beckham. I have to get a Beckham question in. Uh, but he said, you know, he's spoken to David and David's excited about the future we've got and all, all this sort of stuff. So that does definitely hint at they're going to be sort of chopping and changing. And I think also if there were fans there and there were fans there when they lost 4-1, I think the heat would have been stronger on him. And I think, you know, the booze would have started happening and I think that would that would build up. So in a way, that's good that the fans aren't there just so they can just try and solidify it and, and get this kind of team and roster that, 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 that they want, I think. If there were twenty thousand every week and they're getting beat four one at home, I think the pressure would would be building on. I think the tensions would be heightened considerably. So uh, maybe it's a it's a good thing if this is it's not COVID's not a good thing. Um, well, that's actually that's yeah. I was going to say that's actually a transition for the last question, and we're going to have to answer this quickly because once again we've gone way too long. But I do want to say this. I do want to make this point, and that is statistically, if you look at the difference. Um, pre-COVID and post-COVID in terms of home advantage, it is in, an enormous chasm. Uh, and we've seen it in, in, in numerous leagues. Uh, whether that would have been the case inter Miami, we don't know. Theoretically, maybe. But the point that you just made, Steve, about the heat being on, I think is an interesting one because I think most people would would think it a bit harsh to sack a manager in 2020 after the the roller coaster ride that we've had with with COVID, but here is a question for us to do a little bit of fantasizing uh, uh, about in the uh, PG thirteen way, uh, <laughs> Franco. So don't get too excited. <laughs> this comes from Jorge Jorge Medina uh, at uh, JMed0725. <laughs> our, our questioners have some really good numbers here. Um, if Diego Alonso got sacked, unla- unlikely right now. He writes in parentheses. Who would you be looking at to replace him, an ideal manager? So, Franco, I'll start with you. And I didn't give you too much warning unless you've seen these questions. Uh, so I'll give you about 20 seconds. If, if, right, we're talking if, and we're in the hypothetical world here. If, I, if I'm Jorge Mas, I would splash the cash. I'm, I come with David Beckham, splash the cash. Marcelo Claudio would be like, look, man, we got to come together and get this right. Go get Marcelo Gallardo. Pay him what he wants because supposedly that was the, the, the issue with not being able to bring him on board was that his staff wanted X amount and they didn't want to give him X amount. Uh, I think even Paul McDonough alluded to that at one point. So if, if we're living in a world where Diego Alonso is no longer the coach of Inter-Miami, splash the cash, go get my, Marcelo Gallardo and bring him to Miami to play this free-flowing and attractive, attractive and exciting soccer. Steve? Well, yeah, but you've got to have the players though, haven't you? You've got to have the players. I don't think they could play that way right now with that, with that squad. I mean, I think Pep's going to be available at the end of next season, so maybe they can try, and, <laughs> try and get him. Um, like it's going to be it's, it's difficult, isn't it? They 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 bought up Galardo's wages. I think Vieira would have been would have been great. Did quite a bit of stuff with him in New York, you know, just the kind of guy. Just everyone loved him, and he just he had such a presence presence about him. Um, hasn't really been an amazing success as a manager, but it's been it's been solid enough. But um, 
maybe I'm just looking at it from journalistic eyes and I just want a sort of bigger name. But um, I'd, I'd like, you know, from, from our dealings with Alonso so far, he seems like a good guy, hard worker, very serious. So let's just maybe, uh, let's see what happens in the next few months before maybe uh, axing him. Yeah, I think it'd be crazy for Marcelo Gallardo to come to, to, to MLS. And by the way, he, his River Plate does not play free-flowing attacking football. They are a, a pressing team, and they are a very direct team, and they are a lot of fun to watch. And I'm not sure that Inter-Miami's players would fit that mold. Uh, as far as my answer to that question, there's only one right answer, and that is Chris Armas. Chris Armas needs to come to... <laughs> Chris Armas needs to come to uh, to Inter Miami the, to change the fortunes. I kid, of course. Uh, no disrespect to Chris Armas, I actually think he did uh, uh, quite well with what he was given at at the Red Bulls. Uh, but I will say this to, to to end the show, and that is that we have to give Diego Alonso time. Uh, he's proven that he's a he's a quality uh, coach, and I think Franco, you're absolutely correct that the issue is. Uh, the, or the crux of the issue is that, uh, you know, you have players before you have a manager and then it's tinker time. Right. So uh, that is that is the 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 obstacle that Inter Miami is going to have to overcome while being able to keep the 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 fan base whom, whom you've been feeding very high expectations uh, happy. Right. Uh, and losses. They, don't they make fed people. the expectations. I mean, that. That was them, wasn't it? They they fed the expectations. Yep. Jorge Mas coming out and saying we're going to make the playoffs before they actually kicked a ball. So, you know, that's that's you set them up. He said he said at the Rusty Pelican, and I'm not I will not forget this, and I will continue to to, to point to it. And I know this is not a one season project, but we're going to be the most important team. We want to be the most important team in this hemisphere. That okay? So this is definitely not helping you in your in your in your quest to become that because no one expected Inter Miami to be this bad uh, this year. So. Um, I, look, I think Alonso is going to get time. I think he deserves time. I wouldn't say I wouldn't go as far as Eric and saying like there's you know it'd be mind-boggling to to get rid of a coach because we saw what happened to Frank DeBoer got let go in Atlanta. Um, there's apparently other coaches on the hot seat in MLS this year. So I think Alonso will get the time and will get another season to get more of the pieces he wants and showcase the soccer that he wants to to get his team to win games. So and I agree with with what Steve said. He he seems like a hardworking guy wants to figure it out. Is really trying his best, but we'll see. So he gets a little more pieces that fit his style. Here's the disclaimer to end the show: anything said at the Rusty Pelican should not be taken seriously. And with <laughs> that, just a quick reminder that you can uh, drop a review on iTunes, and you can check us out on all the different uh, social media platforms. That is mostly Franco fighting insects and giving you all the latest information on inter miami a big thank you to steve on his first pod congratulations but you also get an incomplete from franco i'll give you a, a b minus for now <laughs> next week big soccer heads <laughs> <laughs>